I would like to, again to say how great a, a privilege, a joy it has been to be here at the conference, and I've very much appreciated the, the warm welcome, and we've appreciated the hearty fellowship of the Lord's people here at Midland Park and those who have <coughs> come from other parts. Good to renew fellowship with friends already known and to make acquaintance with others previously unknown. We thank you all sincerely in the Lord's name and good to see all who are here this afternoon. Just before I read, <coughs> there is uh, I have a very great burden upon my spirit. In fact, I have a fear and I would like to ask your help in connection with that, I'm afraid that you'll go to sleep this afternoon. And the help that I request is, please don't do it. Um, those ample American portions of delicious food, well, I think it might, they may take a toll and tell a tale just in the next in the next 40 minutes or so. So if you can keep awake, I feel more like a little sleep than I do like a long sermon. So I'll try and keep the sermon short and uh, I hope it will not be too wearisome. A number of scriptures I would like to read. First of all, the gospel according to Matthew and chapter 26. Matthew's gospel and chapter 26. And uh, you notice verse 7, There came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, why trouble ye the woman, for she hath wrought a good work upon me? For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily, I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests and said unto them, what will ye give me, and I will deliver him unto you? And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver, and from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. <clears throat> now, a passage from the Epistle to the Galatians, and chapter 6. Galatians, and chapter 6. Galatians, chapter 6. And verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And the epistle to the Philippians, and chapter 4. Philippians and chapter 4. 
Verse 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Verse 14, Notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And our last passage, the Epistle to the Hebrews, and chapter 11. <clears throat> the Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 11. And just a paragraph here commencing at verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, and truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. <clears throat> now that's our reading, quite a, a varied reading, and we trust the Lord's blessing upon <clears throat> the straightforward matters that I want to consider. Actually, the word, <clears throat> you'll have detected it already. The scriptures have often been read. The subject has often been addressed. The word that I'm really thinking about this afternoon is opportunity, or Opportunity if uh, I could pronounce it correctly. But if you can bear it, I'll just stay with the pronunciation. Opportunity. I suppose it's it's mainly a word that we use in our gospel preaching. And when we're addressing a company of folks who are unconverted, we are really impressing upon them the golden value of opportunity. And we stress that it is a narrow window, that it is a closing door. And opportunities are precious, they are few, and they must be snatched and seized. And we do that in our gospel preaching as we implore sinners in our invitation to the Savior and we impress upon them the urgency of the matter of salvation. But just for the purpose of this afternoon, I want to take one of our gospel words and bring it into the context of Christian service. And I want to think about opportunity. You know, some of us who now are just a little bit older than we used to be, I can look back upon my own life. I can see a few opportunities that were seized. But I'm more than a little embarrassed to tell you That my life is littered now with opportunities that I missed. Some of them, I am quite sure, will never come my way again. And particularly, I'm thinking of younger believers with so much potential in your life. And I would just love that the significance of this word opportunity 
might grip your heart from these four biblical, the only four contexts in which the word opportunity occurs. Of course, teaching connected with it appears in many parts of Scripture. The word itself is interesting. Opportunity. And you can see, in fact, one of the one of the subjects that I really reveled in when I was at school was was Latin. All normal people love Latin. And uh, one of the parts of the lesson that I really enjoyed was those parts when the teacher took a while to talk about some English words that had a Latin background in their etymology. And this was one of them, opportunity. Right in the very heart of the word is the idea of a port. And the up in front of the port, it's referring to ancient times when sailing ships, boats didn't have engines and so on and so forth. And they came and they wanted to get into port. And there were two things that the sailor was absolutely dependent upon if he was going to get safely into harbor. As he sat at sea, he had to watch the tide. And he sat opposite the port. And when the tide reached the correct level, the boat could get into port. And if he waited too long and the tide went back, he missed his opportunity. Some of those sailing boats, They were stranded out at sea. Again, they wanted port. They sat opposite the port. And when the wind came round to the right direction, they had to catch the wind in their sail. And if they waited too long until direction changed or until wind velocity subsided, they missed the port. Opportunity. You see, life is like that. There are certain ports. There are certain harbors. There are certain situations in life And there is just a limited amount of time. And if we take advantage of them at the moment, seize the moment, as they say in the Word, we can make it to the port. I'm thinking of some Christians here this afternoon, and you're just in the teenage years of life. I say, you have marvelous opportunities which you won't have in your 20. And for people in their 20s, you have opportunities. There are certain ports. There are certain harbors in your 20s. You won't have them in your 30s. And so it goes on. And there are people in older life, in their 60s, in their 70s. You have opportunities now that you didn't have when you were in your 20s. Every stage and every age of life presents its opportunities. People who are single, married, older folks, younger folks, people who are employed, people who are unemployed. We all are presented with a package of opportunities. They come gift-wrapped in different shapes and in different sizes. And it's your responsibility and mine when an opportunity comes as a present of God's grace that we take off the wrapping and we unfold the package and use the opportunity to the fullest and the best advantage. I'll talk for a minute about not only the Latin background to the word, but in the text that we have been reading, there is a Greek background. The ancient Greeks were fond of images and icons and mythology. And they had a particular image of a man, and he was on his tiptoes in an athletic position, and two wings. 
And there was a great big <laughs> bunch of hair just coming out from his forehead. And he didn't have any hair on the back of his head. And they had constant depictions of this image. And along the bottom of the image, the, the Greek word was charos, or opportunity. That's the word in these texts. And they used to say, when they saw this, this unusual figure, standing tiptoe, tilting slightly forward, girded with wings, the hair and no hair. They used to say, why have you wings? And why are you on tiptoe? Well, he said, I can go very quickly. And he said, I come and I just pass by. Opportunities like that. It comes. It's gone. He said, the reason I have got hair pointing forward on the top of my head is when I am coming, people can reach out and can grasp. And he said, the reason I have no hair on the back of my head is when I have passed by, they cannot catch me. So he said, my visit is only a brief one. I say, dear Christians, isn't it great to think of the opportunities that you have in your marriage? Opportunities with your family. Opportunities in the assembly. Opportunities at college. A word, <clears throat> a word spoken just in see. A gospel tract. A friend invited to a gospel meeting. A visit to a, a believer in hospital. All of these things present opportunities. And we should be alert and alive to the value of opportunity in Christian life and experience. If I leave Greeks and I leave Romans, one of our own poets, old Shakespeare, he said there's a tide in the affairs of men. You remember that famous paragraph from Julius Caesar when Brutus said to Cassius, there is a tide in the affairs of men which taken at full flood will lead to good fortune. Otherwise life will be lived in the shallows and in the miseries. And he said we are all afloat on this full ocean. And we must take the current as it serves and use it to best advantage. Dear Christians, we are all in the sea of life. And when the tide of blessing and the tide of opportunity comes in, we must crest the wave and use it to full advantage. Or we could be left, sadly. And I know what it is at times to stand here. We could be left and the tide has gone out and we stand disillusioned on the shore of disappointment and we lament. I missed it. I missed it. I should have said that. I should have been there. I should have done that. And what has happened is opportunity came and passed us by and we failed to grasp what was easily and well within our reach. And we leave those Greeks and Romans and the good English bard himself, and we'll come back to Scripture. I want to think about an opportunity discerned. That will be Matthew chapter 26. I want to think about an opportunity deferred. Philippians chapter 4. I'll explain this in a moment. From Hebrews chapter 11, I say a little bit about an opportunity declined. And then I say a little bit about 
opportunity deployed from Galatians chapter 6. And I hope the Lord will help us. It will be very straightforward, very simple, and very practical. In fact, in fact, we have come done complete circle, because I'm just back now, just to where the ministry commenced yesterday afternoon. Brother Higgins was reminding us, and I have nothing to add to what he said. I'm just selecting this one particular point in connection with Mary and her alabaster box of ointment. And it tells us in the passage that from that time, from that time, Judas sought opportunity to betray the same. From what time? Judas had, we were reminded about it yesterday, the catalyst that stirred the covetous heart of Judas to go and do his dastardly act of treachery was the fact that he saw Mary honor the Savior with that very significant and special spikenard, and it so disturbed his covetous heart. From that time, he sought opportunity. You see, what had happened was this. He just had observed a, a lady and she grasped an opportunity. And he, it seems to me, and this was explained to us in greater detail yesterday, it seems to me that Judas said, right, that lady has taken an opportunity to give her best to Christ. He said, I cannot tolerate that. And he said, I'm going to use this same occasion as an opportunity to give the worst to Christ. And with very great subtlety, and with treachery, I can see Judas as he slips away amongst the narrow streets of first century Jerusalem, and he connives with the very men that would arrange the Savior's death. And under subterfuge and deceit, he, you know the world, <clears throat> the world of evil never misses an opportunity. The devil and his servants and his agents, they are always alert. Sometimes when we are sleeping, the agents of evil steal a march on our blind side and they grasp an opportunity and they inflict some damage and it's done before we've even woken up to notice what was happening. The agents of evil do not miss their opportunity. Judas sought opportunity to betray him. I'm glad, as we were reminded yesterday, that Mary merely seized her opportunity. You know, the first thing I would say about Mary, as she gave such a noble contribution to the Savior, he meant so much to her. The very best she had, she broke the flask. She didn't take off a little cork. She broke it. This was specially for him. This flask and its contents would never be used again. This was no retreat, no reserve, no regret. This was Borden of Yale ahead of his time. Dear Christians, that's what, that's what we are speaking about today. People that will give everything for Christ. I wonder in the afternoon, the closing session of the conference, is there someone here prepared to be a broken vessel? Take the alabaster flask of your life and break it 
in the presence of the Savior, pour out its contents, the very energies of your soul. It will be appreciated by Him. It will be recognized. It will be rewarded. It will be recorded. You know, Mary's, Mary's opportunity, that's just that she recognized it. The opportunity recognized. I, I could speak about the, the opportunity criticized. Because Judas criticized, you see, you will discover that if you seize an opportunity in your life to honor Christ, you'll always get people that will criticize. It's a much easier thing to be a critic than it is to be a constructive contributor. The opportunity recognized, the opportunity criticized, the opportunity publicized. The Lord Jesus said, listen, gentlemen, he said, what this woman has done, he said, they'll be talking about it across the world, and they'll be talking about it for centuries, I'm sure. And this was not the reason. It didn't even enter the mind of Mary. She never thought that 2,000 years later, give or take a little, there would be people in Midland Park still talking about the opportunity that she, that she grasped to give her very best to the Savior. It was an encouragement to him, as we have been reminded. It was a sacrifice on her part. And I'm glad that she... The Savior said... He said, the poor you have always with you. He said, there are certain things you can do any time. There are certain things you can do any day of the week. But we want to give money to the poor. Well, he says, you could do that next week. You can do that. The poor you have always with you. He said there are certain things you don't really need to prioritize because they'll always be there and they'll always be. But he said you don't have me always. He said I'm talking There's a lady here and he said she has sensed. She has sensed and she has seized that time is scarce that the window of opportunity for devotion to me is closing. And with that recognition she has seized the opportunity you say, what about those ladies that came a week later? Well, they missed the opportunity. To be honest, to be honest, to be just completely frank, I haven't it in my heart to criticize those ladies. There's something about what they did when they bought their ointments and they prepared them and they brought them on the following Lord's Day and the, 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 the tomb was empty and the Savior had already risen and all the expense and all the effort, it was too... Mary wasn't too late. She had done it a week before and she had plenty of time when the Savior was still living, in a short space, he would be taken away. But she, you say, but how do you sense the opportunity? Where did Mary get this inside information that gave her special sensitivity, special discrimination, that even when the disciples didn't know it, here's a lady, and she knew this is it. Well, again, you can supply the answer very, very quickly. There were days that Mary sat at the Savior's feet, there were days that she listened to the Lord's Word. I, I say to us all this afternoon, dear young sisters especially, remember you have opportunities in your life. Us all. 
And what will give a Christian understanding, sensitivity, what will deepen and develop is communion with the Lord. As I cultivate time with him, you see, we, we live in a world where people think that always being active is the most important thing. The philosophy of activism, you have always to be doing something, you have always to be in the move, you have always to be listening to something, you have always to be watching something, you have always to be doing. No, Mary knew what it was to sit. And because there were times that she sat quietly and with repose listening to the Lord's words, it seems to me that she had gathered spiritual intelligence. And when this opportunity came, she was in a right condition of soul just to seize it in a most appropriate way and give the Lord her very best. And then an opportunity deserved. You say it wasn't easy. No, it wasn't easy. It was very co- it was costly. The atmosphere the atmosphere turned very sour. I know the house was filled with the odor of the ointment, but all the objectors were there, and it turned the atmosphere. So you see, you shouldn't have bothered Mary. If you had known, if you had known things were going to just be as bad as this, you wouldn't have even brought out your alabaster. But, but she did it despite the difficulties. You see, there's a thing in connection with opportunity that we need to remember. Some people see nothing but obstacles. Other people, instead of seeing obstacles, they can see opportunity. You've heard a million times, and I'll only refer to it very quickly. You've heard a million times about the man who was dispatched to another continent in which a number of very poor tribes were living. And uh, he was sent by a, a company that manufactured shoes. And as soon as he arrived, he saw that there was no one in the whole area that wore any shoes. They went about barefooted. And he cabled back a message. He said, I'm coming home. He said, there's no one here that wears shoes. There's no point. He came home. They sent another man. And when the other man arrived, they didn't tell him the first story. But when the second man arrived, he saw the same situation. And he sent back a message. He said, send as many shoes as they can. He said, there's nobody here wears shoes. And he says, we have got an open market. You see, the first man saw the obstacles. The second man saw the opportunity. I can hear someone here today say, you don't know my life. My life is difficult. And I've been criticized. And I've been misrepresented. And I don't have many encouragements. And I live, I'm the only Christian in my family. And I'm the only Christian in my particular year at college. And everything. And don't talk to me about opportunities. I'm crushed and I'm overwhelmed. Dear sister, dear brother, you have opportunities there. In fact, I was reading the other day, back in Ireland, in the, in the time of the, the potato famine, the 1840s, when so many, so many left the island and came to this part of the world, and employment was very, very scarce. In fact, it amazes me, but this is only a, only a side thing, that the population of Ireland in 1840 was slightly over 8 million. Today it's only over 5 million. It has never again reached, reached 
the level that it had in the 1840s. The depopulation as a result of the potato famine was, was quite drastic. We live in a very deprived part of the world. Do pray for us. Because we have famine and deprivation and poverty and illiteracy of all kinds. So treat us very prayerfully and pitifully. Anyway, there was a man who was called Bloomfield. And he tried to generate a little work for for a few of the, the neighbors in his cottage cottages. And he noticed he noticed that when they were digging in their gardens there was a very a very strange type of clay. And some of the people complained that we can't do anything with this clay, this old white clay. It's not good for growth and, and it's not good for cultivation. And they complained about this. But he thought this white clay was a little bit unusual. And he said, I'll take a second look at this. And he investigated a little bit more about this white clay. Some of them used it for plastering their houses because it had quite a nice kind of glossy appearance, creamy white. But old Bloomfield, he thought, I'll follow this through. And he started to make little vessels. And people began to buy them. Have any of you folks anything in your house called Balik China? That was Bloomfield. In 1849, working with his white clay. Now he has a great factory. Everybody said, you can't do anything with this white clay. It's no good in your garden. He has built an empire that is international. One saw obstacles. Bloomfield's eye saw opportunities. And in the spiritual realm, you're in a difficult assembly. A great opportunity to pray. A great opportunity to give the best contribution for the glory of the Lord. Dear Christians, let us be encouraged. What about Bible study? Now, I find many young believers, especially if you pardon a diversion, they get discouraged. And they see some of these brethren that seem to have, from Genesis to Revelation, at their fingertips. And they can pull in with a facility of ease. Passages from the most obscure corners of the book of inspiration. And younger believers become overwhelmed and awed. And they say, well, there's no point. There's no point. I just, I, 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 I couldn't do it. I don't know Greek and I don't know Hebrew. And I don't know Aramaic and I don't know Syriac. And I just can't study the Bible. And it's all beyond me. Don't be discouraged. This book is a challenge. It was a challenge for Mary. That day, but she seized the opportunity, and the Lord Jesus tells us we're talking about her still. Bloomfield seized an opportunity. You're still putting Belik China on your mantle. I tell you, dear Christians, if you would get into this book, I'm thinking just now, one of my heroes is John Brown of Haddington. John Brown was born in a little country village in Perthshire in Scotland. He was just a country boy keeping a few sheep. He had a very meager education. Like every wise boy, he tried to learn a little piece of Latin. And he had a long-standing ambition from he was fairly young to get a knowledge of Greek. Of course, he had no facilities. He had no books. He had no money. He had nothing. And he, he, he got a few books and borrowed them and a little piece of Greek and he, he compared letter with letter, and eventually he worked out the letters of the Greek alphabet and what they stood for and so on. When he was 16, when he was 16, John Brown left his few sheep and he walked the 24 miles into St. Andrews 
of the famous university town. He walked into McCulloch's bookshop just as a country boy dressed in the garb of a rustic shepherd. He asked the bookseller, McCulloch, would he have a Greek testament? And, and the gentleman looked over the... He said, well, what good would a Greek testament be to you? He said, sure, you couldn't read it. And he took a Greek testament and he put it down to the boy. And... Uh, The boy was looking at it. And just with that, the door opened. And in walked Dr. Francis Pringle, the professor of Greek. I'm talking now about 1738. No electric light. They didn't even have Twitter. God help him. And uh, there he was standing, standing, and just a spectacle. And these learned men had now arrived in the shop. And Professor Pringle looked at the boy with a little bit of scorn. He said, listen, my boy. He said, if you can read that book, he said, you'll have it for nothing. And John Brown, the little country boy, standing with his staff and his shawl around his shoulders, he began to read the page of Greek, and Pringle was astounded. He said, boy, take it home. And he walked back to the Abernethy Hills. Another 16 miles back, he sat down with his few sheep and with nothing between his skin and the stars but the shawl around his shoulders, he poured over the page of his Greek New Testament and you go on to Logos.com. On the 28th of September 2014, and you can download, if you're that way inclined, you can download the 14 volumes of John Brown's collected works. Produced a whole Bible dictionary. Just a schoolboy of 16. A sh- yes, young sister, it's an opportunity. Young brother, I wonder is there anyone here would really say, from this Midland Park Conference, there's an opportunity. My life, the little flask of my life and its precious contents. I don't want to pour it out and squander it on the lesser things of this world, the trinkets and the toys and the trifles of material things. I'll give it all to him who gave himself for me. Young man, you absorb your soul in this book. And I would say it comes with, it comes with a great caution. The Bible's an exceedingly dangerous book. It's more addictive than anything, any other substance. I, you see, if you get into the Bible... You'll find you'll have time for nothing else. It will become all-consuming, all-absorbing. This inexhaustible volume. That's what assemblies in North America, that's what assemblies in Northern Ireland, young men who will dedicate themselves, will see life as an opportunity. Oh, I appeal to us. Opportunities to be seen. Don't squander your life on baseball. Don't squander your life on Facebook. Plunge your soul and mind into this book. And may God bless you and make you a blessing to his people. Opportunities are valuable. They can be missed. They can be claimed. They can be employed. Opportunity deserved. Very quickly. Or these good brethren will have no opportunity to preach. <laughs> there, are only, there are only about four of you sleeping. So, I would request those four to wake up. And uh, I've already observed and counted. I've logged the numbers. I'm just not sure of the names yet. But that will maybe come shortly. So, keep on the edge of your seat. For this thing could get very personal. 
and embarrassing before three o'clock. Anyway, opportunity deferred. The Apostle Paul speaking to the Oh, they sent a gift. They sent him two gifts ten years before. But there's been ten years when there was no gift. The Apostle Paul's not got, he's just received a gift. He's absolutely thrilled with the gift that Epaphroditus has brought. He said, now listen. He said, even though you haven't sent me a gift for ten years, he says, I know that it wasn't because you didn't care. And he says, it wasn't because you had no exercise. And it wasn't because you didn't want to support the gospel. But he said, you lacked opportunity. It was a lack of opportunity, not a lack of resolve. It was. There are times in life, you know, when opportunity doesn't arrive. You might have an exercise, but the door doesn't open. What do you do? Just keep serving God quietly in the sphere that you are in. Keep your soul bowed in prayerful exercise before his throne of grace and guidance. And when the time comes, there might be ten years delay. I don't know what the problem was. Maybe, maybe. Maybe they didn't even know where the Apostle Paul was. They couldn't contact him. They didn't have sat-navs. They didn't have satellite things. They didn't maybe know this man's moving around. Maybe even they knew where he was. They didn't have anyone to carry a gift. But now, Epaphroditus is available. He must just have been retired or something. Available to do something like that. And he's able to go. And he says, now he says, you'd love to have sent me a gift. You'd love to have helped me. He said, you're a very sacrificial assembly. And he said, I know that there was a burning chair in your soul. But you lacked opportunity. And you just waited until the door opened. The Apostle Paul knew all about that. Because actually many years before this, he wanted to go to Philippi. You remember in Acts chapter 16 where he wanted to go to a part of Asia and Ephesus, but the Holy Spirit forbade him. The door closed. And the door opened in Macedonia. I'll just, I'll just leave it there, dear Christian. There's maybe some believer here and an opportunity that you have a burden about has not materialized in a very, very almost simplistic and down-to-earth level. These dear brethren that take part in a meeting, some of them know, some of them know far better than I do. You go to a meeting, you have a little message in your mind, your heart, your soul, and the door doesn't open. Other brethren speak, other brethren make a contribution. What you have in mind doesn't fit in. You don't get all upset and all excited. You don't push the door open. Listen, listen. We don't make opportunities, we take them. The Lord makes them. It's up to us to take them. You can leave it. Many a time a dear brother has had to go away and say, well, it just didn't fit in. It didn't work out. Then he comes two weeks later. And the little message that he had in mind for the first week, there is a door opens. And he discovers, because he waited on the Lord, that when he gave the message two weeks later, it was far more appropriate It was far more appreciated. It was far more relevant. You see, opportunities discerned. But then there can be opportunities delayed. A test of faith. A test of patience. And I hope the Lord will make us willing. Keep us sensitive. Opportunity declined. Just a very quick word. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob... 
pilgrims in the land of Canaan. Uh, and in that paragraph that's making a comment, a number of comments, speaks about Abraham's obedience, speaks about Abraham's outlook, speaks about Abraham's offspring, and speaks about Abraham's offering. But I'm interested just about Abraham's opportunity. It says if Abraham had so wanted, he would have had an opportunity to go back to the old country. But he never took it. God had called him out onto new ground. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham. Abraham's heart was captivated by a sight of all eclipsing glory. And when God had brought him out, he stayed out. And even though he had opportunity, it would have been a... You say, but Abraham, now, Abraham, would you not go back to see how the family are doing? Would you not go back to see how the old country is getting on? Or of the Chaldees was a very exciting civilization, as you know. It must have been quite a tug. It must have been quite a wrench to leave such a such a, an illustrious civilization. And you'd like to go back for a bit. He had no scarcity of money. If it was a matter of going back for a four-week vacation to Mesopotamia, oh, that was just a small change in Abraham's pocket. An exceptionally wealthy... You say, but Abraham, would you not go back just for a visit? For a visit, Abraham. He had plenty of time. He lived for over a hundred years out of that land or thereabouts. He had plenty of money. And he had opportunity. But no. He said, I left that. I left that land by the word of God and by the call of God. And he said, I'm not going back. I, I say, in fact, I'm really, I'm really going to turn my little message on the head just for a second here. I've been speaking about opportunities. You must see them. You must seize them. We must grasp them. Don't let them go. There are certain opportunities and you don't seize them. There are certain opportunities and they come. They present themselves for selection. But because of higher considerations, you say, no thanks. And you just let them pass by. And the reason that you don't see certain opportunities, they would take you back. I could tell you about a young man this afternoon. I wouldn't dare to say too much detail. And he got the offer of being the captain of the local football team. He was good at football. Nearly as good as I am. I I played football once, actually. And they got me all dressed up. You know the thing, the coats and things and... Wee boots with bumps on the bottom of them. They got me dressed up with all of these things. And I don't know what happened. I did my best. I gave what I thought was a sterling soccer performance. And at half time, they very courteously asked, would I mind leaving the pitch? I don't really know what was the problem, but I did leave. So it was, but this brother was good at it. And he was over captain, captain of the local football. Oh. You say, what did you do? What? An opportunity. They're not, you wouldn't miss that. Captain of the local team. The carrier of the badge. The holder of the cup. Problem. Problem is, practice night Tuesday. Practice night Thursday. No Bible reading. No prayer meeting. You say, but I have to pray about it. You not need to pray a minute. 
I, I get a little weird with people praying about things. The courts of heaven must be bombarded by unnecessary prayers. You say, but I have to pray, Lord. You have to pray and ask, Lord, would you please guide me? Should I go to the football practice or should I go to the prayer meeting? You'll have angels laughing. Don't talk, daughter, nonsense. You see, you say to that, you don't even have to pray. As soon as they make that offer, you say, no. Because that would take me back. I left the glitz. I left the glamour. I left the games when I fell in love with Christ. And the offer of the captain of the, would take me back. There's an opportunity. So entrancing. So, no. What about a young lady in the office? And there's not a single brother has asked her for a date. But working in the office, there is a very fine young man. And he has commendable qualities. Everything that would be admired. He's tall and he's tanned and he's terrific. And uh, he asked the young lady to go out for dinner. The problem is he's not a believer. And he has no sympathy with spiritual things. But he's a gentleman, very accomplished, professional, proficient, presentable in so many other ways. And she says, well, I'll pray about it. Don't bother your head. Just say no. You say, but how how can you be so cavalier? Because to accept that opportunity is taking you back. You left the land of unbelief. That glorious day that you trusted Christ and you don't want to go back even though an opportunity... You know, you say, well, you're pushing the Bible a wee bit far. Do you think so? Let me talk to you about Abraham. He needs a wife for his son. And he tells the servant, he said, now you go and get a wife. But he said, she'll have to come this way. He said, no matter what happens, don't you take my son back. He said, she'll have to come this way. The move will all be hers, and she'll be here before she'll be united to my son. She'll have crossed the line of faith before I allow her to be united. And by, he says, you're not taking my Isaac back? But you say, it's not fair. It's not fair. Not even see him once. No, she'll have to come by nothing but bare faith on the word and promise of God. You can't take... You know, I, I, don't, I don't want to speak unkindly. I see many dear sisters. And they do very well and steady in their Christian experience. And they're going on nicely until it comes to courtship and relationship and marriage. And suddenly they just start to go back. And they do a spiritual somersault because they got an opportunity which the Bible would have guided them. You just say no. These men had opportunity to go back, but they refused because it would mean to recant upon the step of opportunity deferred. And I'll just stop. Opportunity deploy. Well, says the Apostle Paul, he's talking about sowing. The season of seed and the season of sheaves I'll not say anything more about it. I'll just conclude with something like this. He said, As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to them that are of the household of faith. You know, I tell you, dear Christians, the opportunities in your life 
are multitudinous. People say, well, I, 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 don't have any, I don't think I have any opportunity to serve the Lord. I don't have any great sphere of influence or great sphere of service. Listen, whoever you are, whatever college you attend, whatever community you live in, whatever township you belong to, wherever you are, you have opportunities by the dozen. As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good to all men especially to them that are of the household of faith. Young believers that need a little help, older believers that could do with a little visit, a little word spoken suitably, a tract given out, as I've already said, dear Christians, life is littered with opportunities. That was a very disturbing thing our brother said yesterday. I think the most of us caught it He was telling us that none of us would want to get to the end of life and look back with serious regret. And we all will look back. We all will look back. And I look back from this conference today and I break my heart over opportunities that were missed. Thank God for every opportunity that was gained. Other opportunities will be given. Opportunities deserved. Opportunities deferred. Opportunities declined because they would take me back. Opportunities deployed for the advantage of others, for the glory of God. May God help us to appreciate how precious time is, how precious life is, and that we'll garner every corner of life's field and seek to employ it for the honor of the Lord Jesus.